one of the family. I've took it to you. So strong. It's clear. We're going to get along. Consider yourself willing. You know, you do realize that Jack Wilde, his mom was, uh, no, his agent was... Are you even listening to me? I'm texting. You're what? <laughs> I, I didn't think you were going to start the show this quickly. Oh, gosh. Because you're always setting stuff up, and I have like hours and hours to text people and answer emails and do All what right. I'm going to do. But I, you, you rip through it. Now, hang on. You yeah, talk, okay, say okay. things. Mary okay. Poppins, I get it. Great movie. All right, fine. Mary Poppins? That wasn't for Mary Poppins. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I'm texting. Gonna, I don't know what's going on. That's the outro music. Of what? Uh, what? Just consider yourself, right? Yes. Isn't that from uh, Mary Poppins or something? No, that's, that's from Oliver. Oh, yeah. And Jack Wilde, Jack Wilde, who sings that, his agent was Phil Collins' mom. Did you know that? Uh, so Phil Collins' mom was an you, agent. So you played that song, which has no relevance to anything we're going to talk about today, just to tell that stupid story. No, Oliver's out on Blu-ray. Oh, it is? Yes. One Best Picture. <laughs> that's right, 1968. You better believe it. The first uh, film ever to go through the rating system to win Best Picture in 1968, Ooh. and it won with a rating of G, the only G-rated movie ever to win Best Picture, and it was the first one. Wait, well, you're telling me that The Godfather 2 was not rated G? And the, only, and the second film to win Best Picture? Midnight Cowboy, the only X-rated movie ever to win Best Picture. They went from G to X, and then the rest of the history, it's been it's somewhere... PG-13. PG-13, pretty much, you know. <laughs> Very much. We are back. We've been, we've been gone for a while, haven't we? We have been gone. Yes, we have. Happy uh, New Year. Happy New Year and, uh, and all that stuff. Yes, uh, since the holiday show, we took a rather long layoff. Uh, just that's how scheduling worked out. And, and it's, it was a weird December. Yeah, sorry about but, that, guys. We were down for a couple weeks. Down for a couple weeks. Now and we're then, back. And, uh, yeah, anyway. So, yes, uh, I did not go to the LAFCA Awards. You were there. I watched it streaming. Very nice show. I thought it was very good. Now, you, yeah, you know what? You can go online, actually. And uh, you know what? I actually YouTubed. Lafka Awards and Jared Leto. Yeah. And Jared Leto's acceptance speech is online. Yes. And we'll be getting more clips of the show in the future coming days. But you can see Jared Leto. Now, Jared Leto was very funny because he gave a great speech because Franco, James Franco. Yes. Right? In his speech, he thanked Jared Leto. (laughs) Right? So he thanks Jared Leto. And then Jared, from his table in the back, says, it's Leto. (laughs) And so, and so that led to a funny moment in Jared's speech. And actually, you know what? Kate Blanchett, I don't know if you saw this. Kate Blanchett. You know, she, you, you, actually, before you get to that, you know, you know the consequence of, of, of Jared Leto yelling out from his table. They just kicked him out of the New York Film Critics Circle. Yeah, what do you Jared. think about that? Armand White. <laughs> I think he's probably going to sue them. For what? Because you can't just... They're a 501c3. They have bylaws, and bylaws have rules about expulsion. I mean, the IRS if, approves if, your bylaws. But he if can, they follow the rules, then that's fine. They don't have rules for, for expulsion. The they York, do not. No. LAFCA does. I remember when we drafted them, and then I was part of the committee that first started expelling people. You know, because it's like, you're not a film critic. You haven't written a film criticism. You haven't written film criticism in, ever. You're gone. You know, but we had to actually add that to the bylaws. There had to be a vote and the whole thing. You can't just say, like, have a vote and go, well, bylaws don't say it, but we don't like you. You, you yelled at the dinner. You're, you're done. I mean, but wait, there might be a morals clause. If there's there a morals could clause, be. There could be. That's true. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, uh, you know, White's a cantankerous guy, man. He's not going to take this standing or sitting down or whatever. I, I didn't realize how long he'd been around. He, he, he's he been had, around forever. He's been, he's been a member of the group. Why did you get a big water and you gave me a small water? Because I'm thirsty. Well, I'm thirsty too. <laughs> okay, I'll get you a bigger water. Um, 
He's been a member of the LA Film Critics Circle for since like 1987. New York. Uh, New York since like yeah. 1987. Yeah. But you know what? Look, I, the, the thing about Armand White, I think he's annoying. He's a pain in the butt. I think he's contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Of course he is. But I'll say this. He's an entertaining read. Yes, he is. He's an entertaining read. Yes, he is. It's not just more pablum or more fanboy. No, he, look, he has, a, he has a point of view, and he's, he's rather pugnacious about it, and, and that's fine, I guess. Whatever. Oh, well, hello. So anyway, we're not, so a, we're not what, in a soundproof studio. So what do we hear. have to talk about today? No, wait, wait, wait. You were saying something about Kate Blanchett. Oh, yes. So yes. Kate had a great suggestion. Now, at the dinner, yes. there's a podium. Yes. And all the celebrities, they get up at the podium. And uh, they give their speech. In front of the podium, it says Intercontinental Hotel Century City. Right. Which is the name of the hotel where we have the banquet. Sure. Well, Kate gets up there and she says, I don't know why you don't replace this Intercontinental Hotel plaque on the podium with LAFCA. Right? Good point. That makes sense. Yeah. The podium where the entire ceremony takes place should say, not Intercontinental Hotel, Century City, it should say LAFCA. Sure. She pointed that out. So I guarantee you next year, it'll have that. Oh, very, outstanding. Well done. Well done. Get okay, that now, logo out there. You have an interview, right? Yes, we do. We've got an interview today. Who? We, we have an interview with Mike Mendez. You know who Mike Mendez uh, is? Mr. and Mrs. Mendez's kid? His brother, Mario Mendez, one of our longtime listeners. He's contributed openings. He's sent us Vox boxes. He's sent us listener mail. He's been a, a faithful listener. And he, start, he plugged his brother's movie months ago, Big Ass Spider, which is fantastic and fabulous. We have, uh, so we talked, to, uh, we, we talked to him. We talked to Mike Mendez today about Big Ass Spider. Great, terrific interview. And um, it, 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 of course, also stars, you know, I mean, this is, it's like family for us. It just connects in so many different ways. It stars uh, Greg Grunberg. Greg, who, really? Yeah. That's bizarre. Greg Grunberg, who you went to you know, high school Junior with. Junior high school and, with. And who I've known since, uh, well, all, we both, through, J, through J.J. He's part of the J.J. Mafia, right? So, you know. He really I, is the J.J. Mafia. It's the J.J. Mafia. But, I mean, you know, I've known, I've known Greg for, forever because through J.J., he, you know, Matt and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I was in two of Matt's student films. And, and Matt's thesis film, Matt, of course, being Matt Reeves, who's directing the new Planet of the Apes film, and just got hired to write and direct the third one. Wait, wait, based I, on his wait, cut. wait, wait, what's that noise? Oh, wait, that was Wade name. Dropping, name. Yes. Um, now, by the way, he's okay. got hired for the third Planet of the Apes film. That's so cool, no, man. I have a theory. Yes. And I notice this with movies. Okay. Here's the thing. Yeah. There's a movie. Studio worried about the movie. Right. So what do they do? A couple months or a couple weeks before the movie comes out, they announce that they've already greenlit a sequel. Yeah. So that people go, wow, if they've already greenlit a sequel, then the, this new one must be really good. Yeah. But I think they're trying to create smoke In this mirrors. case, though, they've actually hired him. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's more than just we're going to do a sequel. They've actually signed him to do, uh, do another one. So let's, uh, let's hope. But anyway, uh, and Greg Grunberg, of course, was uh, the, um, uh, in Matt's thesis film. There's a scene where... Um, and I remember the, shooting this specifically. There's a scene where the guy in his, in his film, Mr. Petrified Forest, he's, like, he, he's, he's terrified of the world. He's in the backseat of a, of a taxi going to the, uh, going to the airport. <laughs> Greg is the, is the driver. Not a taxi. He's, like, you know, he's the guy who's driving him to the airport. And he's just talking. And Greg's very, very funny in the scene. Uh, it's just a throwaway scene. And then outside they pass a house where, there's, where a, a, uh, a small plane has crashed in front of a small house. Now, this is a student film, mind you. 
And of course, it terrifies him. He's on his way to the airport, and he sees this, you know, plane crash, and people are running, and there's smoke coming out, and the whole thing. It was an absolute delight to shoot that scene. Do you know who built the chassis of that small plane? Wade Major. No. J.J. Abrams. Yes. J.J. just like, I mean, Mr. Jack of all trades for his friend's movie. He's like, oh, he goes in and becomes a special effects technician. He builds the chassis of a small plane, which they, you know, it's like, looks like it's buried in the ground and the whole thing. It was unbelievable. Because like, he was really, J.J. just threw that together in his garage, just like whipped out some, some balsa wood and some canvas and did a thing or two, a little bit of glue and some staples, and voila, there it is. Yes. It's even, unbelievable. Even in junior high school, you knew J.J. was different. It's unbelievable. Anyway. Mark, we have an unwieldy amount of information. And um, we, we spent the first 10 minutes of the show yes, talking about this. Yakety yak. Name yak, dropping yak. JJ once again. Mike Mendez, director of Big Ass Spider, interview coming up later in the show. First, we are going to talk about a ton of movies that came out, all new movies that have come out in the last several weeks. We've got to blow through this. We've got to go through this quick. Mark, let's just haul butt. We're so, just going to make this very quick. You, Most of this is Blu ray. You cannot tell me that the first thing we're talking about in 2014 is this movie. I'd rather talk about that movie. Well, you know, I want to get the bad stuff out of the way. You know what? Fine. Here, here's, the one, here's the one I'm going to start with, because this one is a bit of a weird. This is an odd bird. We are going to start with All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. Which has been done forever. Which has been done forever. For years. Literally well, for years. Well, yeah, for years, because it stars Amber Heard. And if you look at Amber Heard in this movie, you go, my gosh, she's... What is she, like uh, 17 in that movie? Because isn't she like... Tw- no, she, yeah, she's like 27 now, and she's like 14 in this movie. That's how long it's been done. Uh, Amber Heard's pretty terrific, though. I like her as an actress. This is what they also sent us uh, with this uh, Blu-ray. They sent us this, a first aid kit. All boys love Mandy Lane. Whatever. It's a, no, no, it's, look, it's a first aid kit. I can, what I can, even use, I can use this to, uh, to like, patch you up during the show. <laughs> you can't even open it. I can't, yeah, you, you, you'll be dead by the time you get this open. Look, it's what got, uh, it's got like, uh, some uh, bandages and swabs and, uh, and stuff. Wait, we're giving this away. No, we're not. Why do you mean we're not? <laughs> we're not going to give away a of course, first. Of course we are. It's got a bandage. It's got a little tiny scissor. It's got Band-Aids. Oh, it's got, uh, I might need that. I'm going to put it in the car. I, I want everyone car. to know for the record that I said we're giving it away, and Wade said, <laughs> no, I'm a, putting it in the car. It's a cheap first aid. No, we're not going to do it. No, we can't. No, no. It's a first aid kit for crying out loud. It's like some bandages and some scissors and some, you know, and a garret to kill a person. Okay, all the boys love Mandy Lane. You know, here's the thing about this. This is a total, if you, honestly, if you didn't know this was made like two years ago or three years ago, whatever it was, you'd swear it was made 25 years ago or like 40 years ago. It, it looks like a movie from the 70s. It looks like a 70s-era grindhouse slasher film. But that's, that's cool. That's ex- it's totally cool. It's exactly what it looks like. It's, uh, it, it, you know, basically, she's this unbelievably hot girl. She's got this kind of dweeby dude who's, her, who's a friend of hers. And um, he likes her, right? And you think, you know, she doesn't really understand that her friend likes her, and so he's jealous. And anyway, and then she's invited by all the popular kids to like, go to this, uh, this you know, Gathering, they're like they're, like, they're, they're all going to do the kid thing, right? There's going to be a little, little partying, a little sex, whatever. So they go out to some dude's house, and of course, suddenly everybody starts dying, and someone is killing everybody, and you know, it becomes kind of a slasher film. But even though you totally know what's going on, and even though I totally saw all the twists, it, it wasn't really hard to figure out. I still had a really good time. I had a good time watching it. I just thought it was the whole grindhouse sensibility of it. It just it felt like a movie from the 70s. I, I was like, all right, totally well done. So Jonathan Levine, who directed it, uh, job well done. And uh, that's out on Blu-ray. <laughs> and I love the tagline. It's the kind of party where everyone gets wasted. Yeah. Yeah, right? 
a Smurfs good... two in three D Wade. Smurfs two. Okay, uh, get it out. Get it out of the way. Just make that move. Now uh, nobody uh, really asked for Smurfs two, but Smurfs two did well enough internationally, and uh, it's animated and it's uh, pre-sold, pre-digested. Everybody yep. knows what it is. That why not make a Smurfs two? And they did, and it was and they terrible. Did. Uh, That's all I got to say about Smurfs 2, which is on, uh, on a very special Blu-ray. Th- By the way, Blu-ray 3D, interesting. Yeah. TVs not, will not be made uh, 3D anymore. I know. 3D, Blu- uh, 3D TVs, over. Done. Done. Finished. Not happening. Finished. That's right. The end. Well, I'm so glad that I have one. Oh, wait. No, maybe I'm not. You do yeah, have one. I do have one, yeah. And I got like four pairs of glasses. Oh, joy. Now, have you watched a, th- uh, th- a Blu-ray 3D movie? Uh, yes, I have. How, how was the experience? You know, whatever. It's not... It's, it, it, how dare you? We're going 4K now. That's the whole new thing, right? They're right. going to be pushing that. And nobody's really going to start getting consumer 4K TVs for probably about five years. You know, they're not going to be affordable for quite a while. But we'll get there. Uh, the Wolverine. The Wolverine. The, uh, the ongoing uh, adventures of Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine, which in a very interesting way ties into the next X-Men film because all of the Marvel things like Marvel comic books, all the Marvel movies have to kind of interconnect with each other. Uh, the Wolverine did really well overseas, didn't do so well here. It's better, however, than the previous Wolverine film, uh, which was really pretty horrendous. But, uh, I like this movie. Huh? This movie was fine. It was okay. It was fine. I mean, apart from the fact that it did had basically the exact same ending as the first Thor film, which you know the the, the giant robot, the giant CGI thing. Of course, yeah, it's the silver samurai. I know, I get it, but I don't know. I mean, you know what's funny is if that you're a Marvel fan, look, I guess it ties into the comic books a little bit more in, in a, of a it thing. Does, but, but you know what? You know what I'm noticing? There are three companies, pretty much predominantly, that yeah. own Marvel, own the rights to make Marvel characters. Yes. Sony. Yes. Right, which is Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Fox. Fox, which X-Men. is Wolverine, mm-hmm. X-Men. And then uh, Marvel Disney. itself, Disney slash yeah, Marvel. Exactly. And they really do all have different feels. Oh, completely. You really feel it when you're watching the Wolverine that that's not the movie Disney slash Marvel would make. No, If correct. they made a Wolverine film. Very true. It would Very be true. a little bit more... A little bit more cheeky, a little bit more humor, yep. not as brooding, I agree. more fun, yep. a little more loud, yeah. you know, but they have a style and that house style works for them. It does. So, I mean, look, I, I love Hugh Jackman. I, I like the Wolverine character. I had some problems with the story. Of course, it goes to Japan, you know, so you, that's why it did well overseas. It did really well in Japan, did well in China. But, I mean, it's, you know, I, I like my martial arts movies pure and this felt like they were pushing it a little bit and, you know, it was whatever. But that being said, uh, they have actually gone and hired uh, James Mangold to do another one. So, and, and James Mangold's a good director. He's you know, terrific. Good, decent screenplay by uh, Mark Bombeck and Scott Frank. I love Scott Frank. He's you know he great, great script Sutter doctor. Films? Yeah, and Scott Frank also did Dead Again, right? Dead Again. Remember Dead Again? The yes. Kevin Brown film? It's terrific. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's on Blu-ray, DVD, uh, uh, digital HD, uh, ultraviolet. Uh, that's the new thing, right? Digital HD, right? All, all digital forms are now digital HD. So, Digital HD Ultraviolet, uh, which I'm starting to kind of like. I sort of get the idea of the whole cloud thing. It's not bad, but I have a feeling that may go the way of uh, 3D TVs at some point. Um, Mark, you know, we talked about Pain and Gain last year. Pain and Gain, uh, after coming out already on Blu-ray, is out in a special collector's edition Blu-ray with Ultraviolet. I, I don't really see the point. It has a new hour of new bonus features. Was anyone really asking for this? Yes, people who I don't want to meet. I mean, did you did you go? Oh, dude, Pain and Gain this is like the best Michael Bay film ever. And now there's like an hour more stuff. I started to watch some of the extra stuff. I'm like, really? This is all. All you're trying to do is just juice some more Christmas sales. 
You, you, sure. you, like it didn't hit whatever threshold, and some marketing guy said, well, all that crap that we left and we didn't put on, let's just do another one and maybe we'll sell a few more. Lame. Moving on. Uh, the Canyons, by the way. Paul Schrader, uh, I don't know what happened to Paul Schrader. The Paul Schrader I knew made movies like Taxi Driver. Uh, Kagamusha. And, you know, not Kagamusha, Mishima. Mishima, Mishima that's Mishima uh, is a great film. Yeah. Mishima was at the Cannes Film Festival in 1985. Fantastic movie. The Canyons is this thing that he uh, he did to super low budget to kind of try and resurrect his career. They made it next to no money. IFC picked it up. Lindsay Lohan tries to sort of be a real actress in it. Co-stars with James Dean, the porn star. Who, who, you know, uh, Schrader edgy. was not complimentary of uh, Brett Lindsay Lohan. And Brett Easton Ellis wrote it. Who, edgy. Everybody, everybody's all edgy. All, wait, the only reason why anyone will, oh will, anyone will rent this is to see Lindsay Lohan. No, yes, one, true. no one cares about Brett Easton Ellis. No. And Schrader was not complimentary no. about Lindsay Lohan and working with her. No. That she's essentially a train wreck. Yep. And I was very surprised. I, I don't know how they got her insured because that was sort of at the height of her yeah. erratic behavior. Mm-hmm. But somehow they got this thing made and somehow he was able to coax something out of her. And uh, he wound up with the movie, but I just think that this is not something that it's, it's that a really, needs to be doing. You know what? It's an erotic thriller that just has filled. It's filled with so many cliches. It's so predictable. It's like he he just he just wrote this thing and threw it together. Brett Easton Ellis did because he could, and Schrader was like, "I'm just going to make it because I need to." And Lindsay Lohan was in it because somebody offered her a job, and it just doesn't. It's not not a thing. It's just not a thing. It is not a thing, Wade. Uh, now I have a couple, Wade. Uh, we have Jobs. This is the uh, Steve Jobs movie, one of a, uh, two Steve Jobs movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, this one stars Aston Kutcher, who I like so little <laughs> that I can't even tell you. But uh, you know what the problem with this movie is? Mm. Uh, the problem with this movie is that you know Steve Jobs himself was such an innovator and, was, and visually had such an amazing sense uh, and such a sense of style and such a sense of being a, just a, a classic breakthrough artist that... You really wish this movie had any of that. I know. Took a chance. Yeah. Tried something. Nope. Did something. Instead of just being nope. flat, unassuming, not necessarily 100% flattering, but still just a flat, unassuming biopic that you can get eight other ways. Totally true, although I will say this. I was stunned at how good Ashton Kutcher is in this movie. Nah, I, screw I mean, that guy. I, look, it, it is the best bit, it's the best acting you will ever see him do. And that's not saying it's great acting, but it is for him... It is like, it's his Lincoln. <laughs> okay. Wow. It's, it, what, what Daniel Day-Lewis stretches to do in Lincoln, that's what essentially Ashton Kutcher does here. It is the, the best that he will ever do on screen. And it's not bad. It's not a bad performance. It's, it's surprising that he can actually do something that is this professional. So, I mean, and that's not a slight against him. He's a very narrow actor. You know, his range is very limited. I never ex- expected to see him stretch this far. So I give him credit for that. Great movie? No. I, I, did wa- I enjoyed watching, kind of going through all the, you know, oh, look, I remember Gil Emilio. That guy, that's that I, oh, yeah, and I remember when this happened. So it was sort of, you know, being a part of the Apple history timeline, watching it all unfold in dramatic fashion. I kind of enjoyed that on a certain level. Uh, Wait, you know what I didn't enjoy? What didn't you enjoy? Red 2. I didn't enjoy Red, actually. You know, you know what the problem with Red, which is the, uh, it's with Bruce Willis and uh, John Malkovich and uh, Morgan Freeman was in the, was right. in the first one. Um, my problem with the original Red is that it's about these older, and Helen Mirren too is so great, it's about these older spies coming back to right. for one last uh, whatever adventure. 
My problem with Red, the original, was that they didn't really utilize what it is that makes older people interesting. Totally. Whatever their experiences are or whatever perspective they have by virtue of being older, that's the stuff that should have been used yeah. to solve, totally. the, solve the crime. Right, exactly. And to beat the bad guys. So I didn't like Red. Red 2 is even less of that with more explosions. Oh, yeah. And that's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. Because you know what? I love Kaboom movies as much as anyone when just stuff just blows up for no particular reason. But you know what? After a while, I just wish they would tell me a story. I understand that this stuff was done for, for cost, and, it was, and hopefully it would do well overseas where they don't want to hear a lot of dialogue. They just want to see things explode. That being said, it's just very cookie-cutter. And uh, I, just, I think that the thrill of watching Helen Mirren shoot a gun... Uh, worse well, than uh, yeah just worse than after a while so yeah. I'm not a fan of Red 2 I think that the uh, Blu-ray looks nice whatever that's worth All right. which of course is nothing well I'm going to blow through three here real quickly uh, all of them well two of them uh, in, the, in the same general vein that's Man of Tai Chi and Kick-Ass 2 now here's the thing Man of Tai Chi Keanu Reeves directing debut uh, or essentially the dramatic directing debut it's a straight-up martial arts film, right? And he plays a he plays a bad guy, and uh, it's uh, you know it's it's kind of the we've sort of seen it before. It's a little bit of you know the, the, the good the good guy who has to go into the, like the evil tournament world because you know it's all he's got to do. And right, how do you keep your how do you keep your your ethics and how do you be a good martial artist and a good master of tai chi when you're yeah 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 you're right all the the internal conflict stuff externalized through some really wicked awesome uh, fight scenes. I thought it was a perfectly great genre piece. I think uh, Keanu Reeves is perfectly capable as a director. I I think this is the Keanu Reeves film that uh, everybody should have sort of rallied around last year instead of the freaking... F- oh, my gosh. What a disaster. The, it, like, they should have hired him to do it. He would have done a better job with, yeah, with 47 exactly. Ronin. He really would have. Um, he's really got some chops. That's a huge write-down for the studio. Huge the write-down. The studio had to write down like $150 million or something. But Tiger Chen, uh, who, who I've never seen before, is, is quite good in this. And Karen Mock, who I always like, is, is just terrific. I, I thought it was perfectly serviceable uh, as that kind of a film. Kick-Ass 2, everybody knows I love me some Kick-Ass. I love me some... Uh, some hit girl, and unfortunately, this sequel just did not deliver. Even though Jim Carrey, who you know, like went off and badmouthed the film because he decided in the, in the wake of the Newtown shooting that he was just not going to endorse violence anymore. And he but was I sorry liked him in this movie. He was good in it, but he doesn't save it. I mean, the, you the, know what the problem is? Is that it was too much like the first movie. I think that the first movie came out of nowhere. People love the swearing. They love the characters. It seems so transgressive. Yeah, and it, I and I, I don't know that people wanted to see the same exact movie again. It, but it, it doesn't feel as tongue-in-cheek as the first film did. Or, I mean, or, it feels, it's, not, or it's not as surprising. It's not as surprising. It's also, it, it doesn't, you know, the first film was not mean for the sake of being mean. It was mean with a little wink and a nudge and kind of a, a smile. This is just, just really mean. See, I think if this film had come out first, if, if Kick-Ass 2 were Kick-Ass 1, yeah. I think you'd like it a lot more. Yeah, not really. <laughs> not really. Hit, you know, but I do love the hit girl scenes. I'll say that. Uh, you know, she's on a motorcycle and reminded me a lot of uh, Batgirl, and that was good. But other than that, you know, th- that's also Blu-ray and DVD and uh, ultraviolet and uh, some okay extras on it. But it's I just can't fully recommend the film. And then also Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet is Elysium, um, which is uh, Neil Blomkamp's follow-up to District Nine, which has many of the same sensibilities. And I think that's kind of part of the problem. Matt Damon, you know, looking all kind of buff and head shaved and dystopian in the future where everybody's kind of suffering on earth while the hoi polloi and the elite live in up in orbit and he's got to you know he's got to make his uh, trek up to elysium and break in and there's a whole 
There's a whole class warfare element to it. I gotta tell you, I, I thought Jodie Foster was wasted. I thought Matt Damon was really good, but this is so heavy-handed with the messaging. It was a disappointing follow-up to District 9. Well done. Well done, very competent, but in terms of just being unbelievably bludgeoning you on the nose with its message, it just lost me. Well, you know what the issue is to me is that I didn't feel that the movie was very politically astute. It almost seems yeah. like, a, like a junior high school kid who read a right. Time magazine article and now thinks that the one percenters are evil and let's make a movie about that. Yeah. Like it didn't seem like it had a whole lot of political nuance to it. it. It's just these movies, whenever I see these films, I always compare them immediately to which, what for me, I mean, everything kind of starts with Last Man on Earth, right? Vincent Price and what was a, the original adaptation of I Am Legend. That's kind of the original one of these and then that of course later become what Mega Man and then I think for me, the pinnacle of this genre is always the road warrior. When you go from Mad Max to the road warrior, that's kind of like the lone hero in the dystopian future where everything's come crumbling down. And road warrior doesn't really bludgeon you with a message. You know, it has. But that road great warrior is not really a political. I mean, that this is not. a political uh, allegory. But that's part of the sense. problem. That's part of the problem. Well, so is it, District Nine. Yeah, but District Nine was so much more subtle and clever about it. It really was. It was just. It, it was much more clever. This is. This is not District Nine. District Nine had. A, a more complicated plot. This is, you know, this well, is a guy on a mission, and it's like, it's like, it is exactly like the Road Warrior in a certain sense. I mean, he's he's trying to break in instead of break them out, but it still has that feel. You feel like he's the guy that's supposed to be Max, you know, and it just doesn't doesn't carry that gravitas. I it mean, is uh, it is politically aware, but it is not politically astute. Yes, very true. Uh, let me do a couple, Wade, because uh, I need my glasses. It's okay. really the problem right now. Actually, I, okay. I, I would have you stop the recording so I can get my glasses, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm for reals. Okay. Uh, the Mortal Instruments, City of Bones. Mortal Instruments is uh, one of those movies that is based on a book that all the kids were supposed to love because it's all about uh, Twilight and uh, all that young adult stuff like Hunger Games. But uh, Mortal Instruments um, just didn't really uh, do it. Nobody really liked it. Nobody really saw it. I don't know that uh, the sequels, assuming there'll be sequels, will ever do very well. Um, you know, I just think that this thing was kind of a bit of a misfire. The problem is that when, when some of these studios, when they, when they sense a trend and they start jumping on it, they wind up optioning books that really aren't necessarily worthy True. of $90 million treatment, but they want to jump on a bandwagon and that's it. Yep. So, and also they don't necessarily get the right people to star in it, you know. They, they kind of throw it together. I right. think that's kind of what happened with uh, Mortal Instruments. So people do like it. I'm not one of them. I would pass on that. I'd also pass on Runner Runner with Justin Timberlake, uh, Gemma Arterton, and Ben Affleck. Uh, this is a movie about, uh, you know, it's about, uh, what's it called? Uh, online gambling. Right. By the way, I don't gamble. Yeah. And I don't gamble online. Right. Because you know what? Here's the reason why I don't gamble. Right. I like money. Mm-hmm. And if I gamble, I'm going to lose my money. Yeah. So I don't gamble. But you know what's fun? Offline yeah. gambling. What is that? I don't know. I guess just regular I gambling. I just made that up. Just regular gambling. I'm blue. Anyway, so this thing is just, I, I found it predictable and a little bit uh, smug. And, uh, you know, I love all the gambling lingo and how cool they are and they talk to talk. But in the end, it's just, it's just all just too smug for me. And okay. I didn't find it all that exciting. So I would pass on Runner Runner. Also, um, I'm going to say something controversial, Wade. Do it. I love the Riddick series. Do it. I'm telling you. I know. You think I'm crazy? No. I like Pitch Black. I, I, I like Chronicles of Riddick. I, Come on. I even like the Riddick. Vin <laughs> Diesel. The Thrill Ride. Come on. Uh, I, I, Chronicles of Riddick I can't get behind, but I kind of agree with you about Riddick. Come I, on. I, yeah, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's some real cheesy fun to it. Yeah, it kicks ass. Yeah, yeah, it does. Come on. It kicks ass. It's fun. It's fun. It is fun. It's Riddick. You know what's lean, mean? He's 
testosterone-filled dude who just <laughs> it, it's kicks got- butt. There's, there, I remember when they they leaked a scene of this online, quote-unquote yes. leaked. Yeah, is, the, the, the red band. Yeah, the red band, quote-unquote thing. Yeah. And I think, I, I'm trying to remember what, what the scene was. It's been a while. It's where they have him, like, locked up. And you, and yes, you saw, and, and then, then he tunk, kicks, tunk, and then, like, cunk, he kicks a cunk, knife cunk, into somebody's cunk. head or something. <laughs> like, what? And then the creature comes through and, like, yes. eats a guy, and they're like, uh, we better let him go. Yeah, it was a great you, scene. You, but you know people as smart as David Toohey, the writer yeah. director, and got people as smart as Vin Diesel, basically not a stupid guy, let's face it, this guy's got a career. You know that when they do a scene about a guy who like kicks a knife through a guy's throat, yeah. that's just patently stupid. Yeah. But they know it's patently stupid, and that's okay. Do. If I feel they know it's stupid they're and they're having fun with it, with it, then it's a free pass. There you go. And I do like the Riddick movie, so there. Yep. Uh, we are what we are. It tells you everything that you need to know when you look at the artwork on this. Uh, it's a dad and two girls. And they're sitting there with these uh, bowls of food, which are quite clearly uh, not regular human food, not food meant for consumption as it bleeds off the bowl and onto a plate. Uh, the, uh, you know, this is uh, Jim Mickle, who is very, very capable with this kind of uh, material, basically gives you a straight up uh, really, really creepy um, kind of throwback horror film. Uh, it, it, it's pretty evident what this is about, and it's you know a, 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 a different kind of family, right? We got a lot of these. Usually, they're kind of inbreds who, who live in the mountains, and you get caught by them. They don't live in your neighborhood, and these people do. Uh, it's the idea being that there's you know they, they, this is kind of an ancient uh, ritual cultish family that uh, has all kinds of you know they keep to themselves, and they got a whole. We don't care. Weird deal, but anyway, if you're if you want a good horror movie to start the year, we are what we are. It's very very nicely put together. I gotta say, not my kind of movie, but you know, it's very competent. Uh, And then uh, Winnie Mandela. Oh my gosh, Jennifer Hudson and Terrence Howard in a movie that was on the shelf for years and only wound up getting released, I think, because the uh, Idris Elba Mandela movie finally was getting a little bit of traction and getting released and they thought well we'll just get this thing out a couple of months ahead of time and uh, maybe people will get confused and buy a few tickets to this and I gotta tell you it's it's kind of a lumbering dud I I like her in it I like Jennifer Hudson very very much Terrence Howard is sort of miscast and a little bit wasted no you know it's miscast but what well I love Idris Elba that guy is commanding and he's handsome He's got and the package. And that's why he's miscast. He is the worst <laughs> casting for Nelson because Mandela talks, ever. Because all he does is to talk like this through the whole movie. Terrible. I think that, yeah, I know. The best Mandela was Morgan Freeman, frankly, you know, because he looks like him. But anyway, this is directed by Daryl James Root, who now goes by Daryl J. Root, who is, of course, a South African filmmaker who made uh, uh, Serafina, among many other films. Very capable filmmaker, uh, but this is not the movie that he should have made. And he obviously wanted to try to beat everybody to the Mandela punch. And it just, there's a better movie than either of them to be told about Mandela. And this one just, you know, really doesn't, doesn't do the trick, uh, even though Jennifer Hudson is quite, quite good in it. Thanks for sharing. I really like this movie. Nobody else liked this movie. Everybody else railed on this movie. Stuart Blumberg. Uh, co-wrote and directed this and I, I just think this is it, it's basically about people who are all suffering from I don't want to give too much away they all have uh, issues you know it's, it's interconnecting people and there are all, a lot of issues going on here and it's basically about well I'll say it it's about sex addiction these are all people with, with you know sex addiction and their relationships Mark Ruffalo is, is like the, kind of the central guy who just has a raging sex addiction and it doesn't treat it as a joke it treats it very seriously and um, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Alicia Moore, otherwise known as Mandy Moore, Pink. 
Oh, pink. Damn good in this. She's really good. Really? She's funny. She's touching. She, you know, she's in this group. She plays like a real kind of a tough chick, right? Obviously, because she's freaking pink. But Alicia Moore uh, has, a, has the first scene that you see where she's talking to the support group. Tears your heart out, man. You're just like, you have got acting chops. You are not just a great singer and a performer. You have got acting chops. I want to see more of you. I hope more people put her in movies and cast her, you know, give her not just typecast roles where she's basically playing herself, but some really good stuff. Gwyneth Paltrow is the woman that Mark Ruffalo wants to have a normal relationship with, is just uh, sensational. I thought, uh, I thought this, I like the fact that this movie treated its characters respectfully and the subject matter without kind of a <laughs> sex addiction. You know, there's no Beavis and Butthead joking to that. Well, I in thought, that case, I'm not going to see. Well, there you go. Uh, wait, uh, Joe Swanberg. You, you love Joe Swanberg. He's, I, he's, he's one of those uh, mumblecore guys yeah. who I like, but you don't like any of that no. mumblecore stuff. Anyway, Swanberg's growing up a little bit, and his latest film is called Drinking Buddies, which I liked a lot. It's with Olivia Wilde, Jake Johnson, Anna Kendrick, and Ron Livingston. Uh-huh. And it, they play these, um, uh, like Luke and Kate are these two two people who like, all they do is drink together. They go to the yeah. bar, they hang out together, and they flirt. That's all they do. The reason right. they flirt is because they're both in other relationships. So what's going to happen? Are they going to break up with their exes? Are they going to break up with their current girlfriend, boyfriends and hook up? What's going to happen? Of course, we all know what's going to happen. But still, I did find Drinking Buddies likable and went in, un- went in, in directions I found unexpected, yeah. which it probably never would have done if it, was, if it was a studio romantic comedy. And I thought it was terrific. I thought it was a very winning film. Uh, it was very disarming. It was pretty charming, kind of funny, a bit earthy. I liked it. I like Drinking Buddies. With uh, Olivia Wilde, of course, um, uh, well, now she's pregnant, but before she was pregnant, I know it's a terrible thing to say, she was <laughs> the most beautiful woman in the history of the world. Although I did see her once in person, and I have to say, she is, has an enormous chin, an absolutely enormous chin. Wow. Well, good for her. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm glad she has an enormous chin. And, and what, you, it, so does Jay Leno. Someone's got to have an enormous chin. Yeah. Anyway, I did like this movie a lot. I just, I felt it was, it was very, it was just a winning little romantic comedy. It took itself seriously. It looks like indie and stupid, but it's a cool little movie, Drinking Buddies. All right, Mark, I'm going to blow through some uh, awards fodder. Chime in as you see fit. All right, you ready for this? Yes. We're going to haul. Mm. Nicole Holofcener's Enough Said, the, uh, one of the swan song performances of James Gandolfini. I think he may have had one other film under his belt, but uh, this is either the last or the second or the last. I love Nicole Holofcener. She's, of course, in the past made uh, you know, yeah, friend, friends, friends with, with friends money. With money and, and, yeah, I mean, she's, she's, and her dialogue is so good. The, the movies just feel so real. They're funny. They're sad. They're just earnest. They're very Southern California for the most part. Enough said is just, uh, it's terrific. And it's about two people, both of them divorced, older, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini, and having this very awkward courtship, you know, later in life, this uh, kind of December, December courtship. I, I just thought it was so, so real, so honest, so good. Um, I love everything about this movie. It's going to get an Oscar nomination for uh, this week for a screenplay. I guarantee you, if it doesn't, I will eat my hat. Oh, my God. I cannot yep. wait. I and cannot wait to roll camera. Catherine Keener's in it, who's, of course, in all of Nicole Holofcener's films. Tony Collette is terrific as in The Obligatory Best Friend. I think it's just a great, great film. It is a beautiful Blu-ray. also has ultraviolet. And uh, not a lot by way of special features. It's got, you know, the, the usual featurette stuff. But I, I, honestly, you, you just cannot go wrong. At least rent it. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Prisoners, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, the French-Canadian filmmaker who previously did Ascendie, which got an Oscar nomination and should have won, which is an unbelievable movie. I love this movie. This is great. I mean, it's great. It's look, a real thing. It's the, screenplay, real thing. the screenplay, which was on the blacklist for a long time, uh, ultimately, if you think too much about it afterwards, you're like... 
that is like a totally mechanical murder she wrote screenplay. That, that story just goes right by the numbers if you think about it afterwards. But the beauty of the directing is that while you're watching it, you're not thinking about that. You are totally caught up in the rhythm and the tension of this movie. Hugh Jackman as a, a one of two dads, the other one being Terrence Howard, whose kids are kidnapped. And he goes absolutely ape in this movie. He loses it. And it is just a raw, unbridled performance like I've never seen Hugh Jackman give. It is, it is Oscar-worthy. I don't know if he'll get an Oscar nomination, but man, is he good. And then, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal is the cop who's like, stand down, dude, let me do my job. And I think this is just such a tense... I haven't felt this much intensity in a movie since Silence of the Lambs. I, uh, I agree. I yeah. like this movie a lot. And you, you know, when you, when you look at Hugh Jackman, can you name for me an actor five. so versatile? Absolutely, five. <laughs> Wolverine, yeah. right, he does superhero movies, he does family dramas, yep. he does thrillers, he does comedies, he does musicals. Good for him. I mean, seriously, what yeah. does this guy, what can this guy not do? I know. And he's great. I, I think, he's, I think he's, he's almost underappreciated. He's really good. Written by uh, Aaron Guzkowski. I'm going to mutilate his name. It's one of those Polish names that I'm just, you know, you Polish people and your names that are impossible to pronounce. But uh, some featurettes on here. They may come out with a special edition at some point because they didn't really load it up. But it's got uh, ultraviolet, DVD, Blu-ray all together. Beautifully, beautifully well done. Uh, the Spectacular Now, which is being completely forgotten in Oscar season, but I love this movie. Uh, this is the guys who wrote 500 Days of Summer. And they just do such a beautiful, beautiful job here. It's uh, uh, written by Scott Neustadter and Michael Weber. Wrote the 500 Days of Summer, directed by James Ponsold. And it's, uh, I, would, I never expected to like this movie. Uh, Miles Teller, who I don't particularly like, uh, and Shailene Woodley, who I adore. This is like a teen romance movie, which I usually hate, and it felt freaking real. It just felt earnest and real and heartfelt, and it pushes all kinds of buttons. I never expected a movie like this to push, really like adult, mature, emotional buttons. And that was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is a Blu-ray and ultraviolet, no DVD on this one, but they, uh, they do include um, a, little, a little plug here featuring stars from the upcoming major motion picture Divergent. I know. You know, so they're that, already. That's another one of those. Uh, that's they're Mortal trying, Instruments, Twilight, Hunger Games. They're, they're uh, trying to turn Shailene Woodley into the. It, that's going to be a big deal, by the way. Divergent. Divergent. It's going to be a big deal. That's going to be a good movie. Uh, Short Term Twelve, which I was shocked that I liked because I normally can't stand Brie Larson. She feels like really? the indie queen of the moment. Like no, she's, no, no, no. Greta she, Gerwig is the indie queen of the moment. She is, but, but Brie Larson. I think Brie is the Larson has made like five indie films in three years, and every, she's like, she's, I won't do a studio film. I'm just going to be this angst-ridden angry, dressed-down woman without makeup no, in, in all these indie movies. She'll but do you know, Godzilla too. But you know what? She's really good in it. I mean, this is a good film. It's basically about... I feel like it's a bit overpraised, but it's a good movie. Short Term 12 shocked me how good it was. You know, it's about troubled kids and a home for troubled kids and uh, the woman who runs it who herself was once like a troubled foster kid. And uh, it just... It, it, it puts you right into this world and it, it twists all the, all the right screws and puts you them in the right places. Good. Why? This movie's good for the same reason that Fruitvale Station is good. It's all about tone. Yep. Right? Yep. It's not, this uh, Short Term That's 12, which, which again, I, I do think is a bit overpraised, but I like mm-hmm. it. It's not melodramatic. It's True. not movie of the week. It's pretty straightforward, and straightforward is the right way to go. Yep, absolutely. And so I think it really is a triumph of tone more than anything else. Yep. Well, I, I, I love it. I think it's just absolutely terrific. Uh, written and directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who I think really has a great future. 
I really do. A lot of interesting fe- uh, extras on here. Uh, deleted scenes, the uh, obligatory featurette stuff. There's also the original short film that this is an expansion of. And that's a really interesting comparison. Uh, so, you know, if you want to sort of see how a short film can start a career, that's a diff- definitely good one to talk about. And Mark mentioned Fruitvale Station, which, of course, won Sundance this last year and will probably pick up uh, more than a few Academy Award nominations. Uh, based on obviously the true story of the that kid who was uh, you know gunned down on New Year's Day in 2009 by BART officers in San Francisco, this basically recreates his entire last day. And what I love about this is it doesn't. It's not like oh my gosh, what a good kid. He just he, it, he was such a such a sweet kid with a great future. He's kind of a punk. He's, he he kind of sucks, you know. But he didn't deserve to die. That's the thing that I thought was great about this movie. They, they, they give you his warts and all last day and everything that he did wrong and how he screwed up his life and his job and you know, everything that he did. He really messed up a lot of stuff in his life, but he didn't deserve to die. That's, you know, that's really being very honest with the audience. And I think the audience responds correctly. And like you said, it's all about tone. Michael B. Jordan nails this. This guy is a star. He is going to do such huge work from here on out. This guy is going to be a big star. He's going to be big, starring Godzilla star. 2 with Brie Larson. I, but beyond that... He's going to be a big star. He's going to be doing really, really big stuff. You know, you know, you know what? Again, here's what will happen. In 10 years, he'll do Law & Order uh, <laughs> at Baltimore. <laughs> Very possibly. Uh, and by uh, the way, be richer than all of us put together when he does Law & Order at Baltimore. Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet. And uh, really next to no special features on there. So you know you're going to have to double dip for a special edition at some point. And then uh, lastly on this run is Lee Daniels' The Butler, which I think is a terrible film, but was originally going to be titled The Butler, and then that whole toss-up between uh, Weinstein and Warner Brothers happened, and uh, everybody went and saw it and made more money than it should have. Oprah Winfrey dancing to Soul Train in a skin-tight 70s jumpsuit is something I never, ever, ever want to see again on any screen as long as I live. Do you hear me? I just think that Lee Daniels wields the camera like a blunt instrument. He does. He is not a subtle man. Plus, this is not even the real story. Like, the guy that this is based on, whose name is completely different in real life, he, he was not a sharecropper's son. He didn't see his, like, dad gunned down in a, in a cotton field. All this stuff that they invent to make this story, like, preternaturally uh, emotional, it didn't happen. You know, they invented a story uh, around a real guy that is all fictitious. And people saw this as, well, like... You might as well just tell the story of the real guy. You might as well tell the story of the real guy. Do that for me, you know. And plus, all the the the, the, the Saturday Night Live, I know. Uh, Robin Williams is Eisenhower, the stunt casting with John Cusack doing Nixon. Oh, come on, give me a no. It was terrible. Although all I did like Forrest Whitaker, I, you know, I felt that Forrest Whitaker did a terrific he job. Did. No, he tries hard, but he just it's just it's just awful material. Just uh, awful material. Speaking of awful, we have a close circuit. Now this is from now they tell you on the uh, Blu-ray box. It's from the producers of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I loved. I love Ticket Tales, so it's by a fantastic movie. Close Circuit, not as good. It's with uh, Eric Bana and uh, Rebecca Hall. They play, um, they play lawyers who used to be romantically involved, and then they're brought back together for a terrorism case. You know, I, I just think this is one... Look, I've already told you all you need to know about this movie by saying mm-hmm. that they are two ex-lovers brought together in a terrorism case. So even though it's slick and it's pretty well acted, and I do like Eric Bana, and I like Rebecca Hall a lot. I, I think she's she's got a terrific career ahead of her and she's already done some terrific work in smaller films uh, I just think that it's kind of predictable and it's a bit it's a bit connect the dots and uh, I just kind of wanted this thing to either be a lot more or be smarter and less I hear you so right there was just a bit neither here nor there so I was not really a big fan of closed circuit um, 
Carrie, uh, interesting to talk about Carrie. Chloe Grace Moretz, who we talked about earlier in Kick-Ass mm-hmm. 2, she plays the title character in a remake of the Brian De Palma film. Such a, this, this, uh, you don't even really talk about this. This thing came and went. It wasn't this like in theaters about four weeks ago? Yeah, you know it, what? It I, just, I, wow. Look, I'm not saying that the Brian De Palma original is, uh, is perfect and can't be improved. I think, I think especially when you consider what kids go through today, there yep. is a way to update it. I think any movie is updatable. And I think that this movie is probably not as bad as its you know, Rotten Tomatoes score would suggest. Right. But I, it did feel a little unnecessary. And uh, although I did like Julianne Moore, and I liked the, it was a, I did like Julianne Moore in it. Yeah. And uh, I just think this thing was unnecessary. I don't know that I really bought it. Did you, did you, like, the, you didn't like this movie? No, you not at all. How not in the least. It, it's just it's pointless. It's, uh, you know, she's fine, but there's no reason to actually make it. The original stands on its own, and it's a, it's a piece of film history, and there it is. And that's it. Although the, uh, the original carry on Blu-ray. Yeah. Is it on Blu-ray? I don't even know. I believe it is, yeah. And that you should buy. I would forget this. Now, Wade, uh, one more before you go yes. on your run. Sweetwater is an uh, interesting little Western about a prostitute, played by January Jones, mm-hmm. who's uh, trying to build a new life with her hubby in New Mexico. I like January Jones. I do. Although what's funny is that her name is Jan Jones, but somehow because it's January, it becomes like a unique name. Yeah. But if someone said, hey, Jan Jones, you boring. I knew a Jan Jones growing up. Or maybe her name, maybe that's yeah. January Jones. It's not. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, she's trying to build a new life for herself in New Mexico. She winds, up, uh, she winds up meeting this kind of sadistic religious guy, played by Jason Isaacs from Harry Potter. And uh, things go crazy. I, I, you know what? I, I don't know what to say about this movie. It definitely has its moments. I like some of the over-the-top um, violence in it. I do like the actors Ed Harris is in it. Um, I do like Jason Isaacs. I like, I like January Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this thing definitely has moments, probably worth a rental, but um, overall, I would have to say this movie didn't really work for me. I hear you. Uh, Mark, The Lone Ranger was the biggest catastrophe of the year. Pretty much, right? I would think so. Huge yeah. write-down for the studio, like we yeah. talked about earlier. Gigantic, gigantic big Although, write-down. You know what? Here's the thing, though. I, can, can I, but before you talk about the film. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Gore Verbinski. Yes. I think of the big budget fetishists, he is yes. the best one. He's got a lot of humor. He's very creative with his camera. Yeah. I, I think he's terrific. Yeah, I, I agree. don't think this movie is as horrible as people make it out to be, but it's just not very good. Luke Thompson voted for this in a lot of categories during our voting. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> That's one of those precious moments where it's just like Luke just goes, Lone Ranger. You're like, I, Luke, God bless you for sticking to your guns. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we knew this movie was in trouble from the, the, the first moment that they released a photograph of Johnny Depp with a bird stuck to his head. Everybody was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You, you just can't. Because you know what? Because Johnny Depp has a problem, which is that he just can't give a performance anymore. He, no. has, to know what, he has to know what affectation he can bring to it, He's just, either in costuming or, or in, yeah. in voice. He can't just play a character anymore. He can't just be a guy. I mean, you remember, you remember what was the John Batham film? Nick of Time. Nick of Time. of Time, where it's like the whole thing takes place in, you know, like 120 minutes real time. He's the dad with the, with the kid. Who with got, the kid, right, sure. I mean, he's really good in that. He just plays a person. Where's that guy? Bring do, that guy do, back. Do like Dead Man. Do like an indie movie. Do go get a nomination. This is and and the incredible thing here is just how much had to be bloated out into with special effects, and they were shooting all this train stuff was not even shot. We have great western scenery all over Southern California. Uh, they didn't even shoot it out there. They shot it in Hollywood Park, 
and they set up a bunch of green screens, and it just, it's just too much excess. It's just too much excess. If you want to watch it, uh, Blu-ray and DVD and digital copy, because it is uh, Disney, they are not on board the ultraviolet bandwagon, so you're going to get their specific proprietary digital copy format, nothing that is cloud-based, and Army Hammer, going to have to do some damage control after this. Um, tons and tons of extras here. They really, really just blew this thing out over the top. And uh, none of it is all that interesting, to be honest, including the bloopers, which were kind of not very bloopery. Now, Mark, I'm going to talk about, just for a second before we get into the interview, Big Ass Spider. Uh, I'm going to let the interview speak for itself, but I will say this about the movie. This movie is, the special effects here are as good, if not better, than any of the $100 million movies that were released last year. Okay, And Mike Mendes is going to talk about why. And it's interesting, it's a lesson in independent film producing, because there is talent out there in the world that doesn't have to cost what all the big, the big studio movies cost. This is, uh, this is an incredibly entertaining movie, obviously a throwback to all of the, you know, a, a wink-wink, nudge-nudge throwback. It's much more like Tremors, a little bit like Arachnophobia. It's got that tongue-in-cheek thing. It's a fun movie. It's not a scary movie. Giant spider, giant alien spider on the rampage in Los Angeles. Actually in Los Angeles, unlike in Battle LA. You know, you actually see Los Angeles and you actually see the icons that we see every day getting torn apart by a giant spider. And Greg Grunberg, God bless him, he is out there trying to, uh, trying to exterminate it because that's what he does. It, it is so much fun. It is so funny. Cult movie written all over this thing. I guarantee you that... Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I didn't even bring it up with Mike Mendez, but I'm telling you, I would not be surprised to see a big-ass spider, too. Maybe even big-ass centipede, big-ass moth, whatever. I, I, I'm telling you, cult, cult classic. And without further ado, our good listener, our longtime loyal listener, Mario Mendez, his brother's film, Mike Mendez, big-ass spider. Here's our interview with Mike Mendez. All right, we are speaking with Mike Mendez, the uh, director of the unbelievably entertaining Big Ass Spider, who by chance happens to also be the brother of Mario Mendez, who has sent us many great Vox boxes and is a longtime listener of the show and did a great job promoting your movie, I have to add. Uh, he put it on our radar before the, uh, the, the actual studio marketing put it on our radar. So um, i got to say, it's an unbelievably entertaining movie. Could you oh. could you talk just a little bit about um, how the you know how the script originated, how this came into your hands, and how you guys went about making a movie not on a studio budget that has special effects that shames I think half the, the big budget movies that studios make? Oh, awesome! Well, first off, thank you so much for having me on. And yes, you're right, my brother is wonderful and should be on salary for promoting the film. That's that's uh, very cool of him to, to put it on your radar and whatnot. Uh, how did the film come about? Um, it was, uh, okay, to try to make a long story short, there was a, uh, a foreign sales company called Epic Pictures that they're, they're, uh, they, they had the idea that, like, well, we sell other people's movies. What, what is the perfect movie that we could sell to our clients that would play in all different countries and all different regions? And for whatever reason, they came up with a giant spider film. Uh, huh. and so, so they commissioned a script called Dino Spider, uh, and then uh, we're looking at kind of young um, directors that, that might have a, a take on it. And so I got the script called Dino Spider, and my uh, rea- initial reaction was like, oh, man, really? Has it really come to this? Is, it really, is, this, is this the type of stuff that I'm being offered now? And the sad truth was, yes, it had. Yes, it was. This is where I was at. So, so, uh, and so when you're in a situation like that, you're like, okay, well, what am I to do about this? Because <laughs> this is not exactly the type of stuff that I want to make forever. 
But I, I look at any time that someone gives you uh, money to make a film that it's kind of an opportunity, and really the end product is really up to me, despite what anyone, anyone's preconceived notions are going to be. Um, you know, it was kind of up to us to make a good film or not, and the movie was going to be judged by its own merits. Luckily, uh, Epic Pictures was really open to those ideas and really open because my, my concern was that, that, you know, there's so many companies that, you know, kind of like hack out these movies that then just treat it as a product. They shoot them in 12 days. Um, you know, they, they have, you know, maybe half a million, $250,000 budgets, and then they just, uh, you know, kind of farm them out to Sci-Fi Channel. And that's fine and dandy, and that's a wonderful business model, but that's not satisfying uh, to movie fans. Yeah. And so I, I would like, God, I really would like to fulfill the promise that a title like Giant Shark, I'm sorry, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus kind of gives you. Because I, I got to admit, I want to see a movie like that. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I want to really uh, be invested in that. But unfortunately, most of the time, the, the films aren't very good. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to try to make something like the movies that I love, like Tremors or Deep Rising or Evil Dead 2 or whatever. I was going to uh, say Tremors was... exactly comes to mind. It's, it's, the same, it's the same kind of sensibilities as Tremors, which is something we haven't had for so long. And that, that's exactly how I felt, is I just felt that no one was kind of making these movies and people were just kind of hacking out these films and it was really kind of like destroying a genre that at one time was kind of a beloved genre. So e- either way, I just felt that it was an opportunity to hopefully make uh, an entertaining movie, and thankfully, uh, Epic Pictures is very supportive. And uh, you know, and and for with the process of making uh, the movie over two years, uh, we finally ended up with Big Ass Spider. And to go back to your original question about the effects, um, you know, the effects are actually all done in Pakistan, uh, and uh, it, it was uh, something that we did over the internet. Basically, we found a, a company in Pakistan called Ice Animation. Uh, that really wanted to uh, show that they can work with American companies. So this kind of became like their flagship movie. Uh, and, uh, you know, wanted, then they really put their all in to trying to prove that they can do something special on a limited budget. Because most of the time, a, a, a movie like this, the, the amount of effect shots that they can afford is probably about 30 effect shots. And we have something like 700. Uh, and we were still able to do it on the same budget. So we were very lucky on a lot of, on a lot of levels that we were able to pull this off. Well, I'll tell you, the, the effects work is absolutely superb. And one of the things I think I most enjoyed about it is that, you know, living in Los Angeles, you, you get a little bit tired of seeing Tokyo and all these other cities destroyed over and over and over. And it's nice to see, you know, your hometown and a lot of icons that you recognize and you see every day sort of get demolished by a monster. As opposed right. to something like Battle L.A., which was, you know, shot in Louisiana and uh, no one who actually lives here recognized anything in that movie. So right. it, it was really, it was, it was nice seeing, you know, especially the, the uh, the, the library tower get uh, you know get get take chunks taken out of it. I mean that's you know there are a lot of uh, there it's it's a fun film especially for people in Los Angeles. Um, well, I, I'm a I'm a born and raised Los Angelino, so that was a uh, uh, very important to me that if we were going to portray LA, that it was going to be accurate. And it's funny, like I, I didn't go for realism at any point in the movie, but the one thing for whatever reason I wanted to be realistic about was the geography of Los Angeles, you know, yep. because you see movies like, uh, you know, Falling Down is a good example where, you know, he's in Hollywood and then he's in downtown and then he's by the Santa Monica Pier or whatever. And you right. watch that go like, wait, wait, that's, that's impossible. LA is a huge city. So I, I really wanted to find a realistic track that the spider could take. And so that was kind of through 
Glendale to Elysian Park down <laughs> to uh, to downtown L.A. That seemed like a realistic route. Oh, uh, it, 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 it's 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 nice for anyone who's ever been caught in traffic on that route. You kind of uh, you, you wish you were that spider, I think, at certain points. Right. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um. You know, let's talk a little bit about about the casting too. Greg Runberg, who, uh, as it happens, we also have a connection to. My my co-host, uh, you know, went to high school with Greg, and we've you oh, know awesome. I've known I've known Greg for for gosh, 25 some odd years through my friend Matt oh, Reeves who's doing great. the new Planet of the Apes movie. You know, Greg was in oh, his. Right. Uh, Greg was in his thesis film, and you know I was in a couple of his other student films. So we've we we kind of feel like this film is family in a lot of ways through your brother and through Greg. Uh, Greg is such an incredibly talented actor, and and we were all so happy when it finally you know happened for him on Felicity. But he, here he shows uh, chops that he doesn't really show on those other shows. I mean, he gets to be what he's really been best at, which is very very dry comedy. And uh, if you if anyone has ever been in his presence knows that he can he can make you laugh at the drop of a hat, and he does such a beautiful yeah. job here. Reminds me a little bit of John Goodman in Arachnophobia. Was sure. was there ever a, a thought there that you were uh, maybe uh, there was some connective tissue between the two movies? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the the Delbert character was kind of a bit of an influence on on his character. I mean, to be honest, what, the main influence on, on his character was uh, uh, Kurt Russell in Big Trouble Little China. Uh, oh, terrific! I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love characters that are kind of idiots. You know, they're heroes, but but they kind of stumble upon their way onto victory, uh, and and they think they're you know they, they're kind of a legend in their own minds, you know. And, and uh, so when we were thinking about you know casting the film, uh, someone had suggested Greg Grunberg, and and it was kind of like oh my god, he would be great because he would bring such a, a humanity and such a likability. Uh, because it, it's easy if you play that. Uh, character to come off as, as like um, arrogant or kind of a kind of a jerk, you know. Uh, but but Greg is so cool, and he's, uh, you you just root for him naturally. Uh, that that he just seemed like a great choice, and and not only was he great in the film, but I mean, you know, I'm gonna what what a great human being. I mean, just a great person in general. Yeah, you know, just you know the fact that not only is he a successful actor, but you know has two charities, his own app, a band. Uh, and and is there you know as a committed family man is just you know is just a great person and he really really set a great example on set and you know I really am very much indebted to him for being a part of this movie. Well, it is it is an incredibly fun film and uh, I I th- I think everyone anyone who enjoys it I, I should point out to people I mean it's not a scary scary movie you know it's uh, I think a lot of people think spiders they immediately think I don't want to get near it but I mean I think you hit an a, an absolutely perfect tone with this film it. Uh, it's fun. It's it's great for you know young kids. It's great for adults. It's great for people who don't like scary movies. I think it just it, it hits that perfect tremors tone where it crosses all those demographics. And that, I had a, a lot of fun that. watching it. What's well, what's awesome. next? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, you know that was certainly an intention of the film is that we kind of wanted to make an all ages film to a certain degree, and that's one of the things I'm proudest of that it's that it's certainly suitable for you know a nine or ten year old yet we managed to get into all the cool edgy midnight slots and all the all the cool festivals from south by southwest and we did a whole tour all over the world and still managed to hit these midnight uh slots for for the hardcore gore film uh and so i love that we were able to kind of like you know walk that line and and satisfy um everybody hopefully so so that's really been the best thing about it and and the title really sets the tone too. I mean, it's a good title change. You know, it it really establishes the the, the tone perfectly. So uh, awesome. quickly b- before we let you go, what uh, what's next up for you? Uh, any anything that uh, you want to plug at this time? 
Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, as always, you know, you hope that, that uh, the next thing comes easier than, than the last. But, uh, you know, at this moment, not set in stone. I'm supposed to do uh, kind of a action horror movie called Don't Kill It, uh, which is something in the vein of uh, the movie The Hidden, uh, kind of a, a demon that swaps bodies kind of film. So we'll see if that happens. But other than that, I'm just trying to, uh, to find the next thing. And I'm all, all really honestly hoping that we get to do another big half adventure. So... Well, we we wish you the best with all of it. It's uh, it is a it's a terrific film, and uh, hopefully, uh, wh- whatever your next film is, we'll be in touch at that time and uh, and talking about it when that gets released as well. Awesome, man! Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It means a lot being you guys cover really awesome that you you cover you know uh, uh, indie like us. It's really really appreciated. So thank well, you it's so our much. it's our pleasure. So thanks again, Mike. Good luck. Awesome. Thank you. All right. You got it. Bye bye. Good interview, right? I look. You know what? It's you know what. Uh, I have to say, there's always another way to skin a cat. Pakistan, special effects house in Pakistan. I mean, who who knew? What I mean, that's like that's genius to me. Just genius. Uh, Mark, we we've got a few more minutes left in the show. We're going to go a little bit longer today than we normally do, just to kind of get through all of this other stuff. Um, the uh, classic films. I'm going to do a couple of classic film things now, which are of note. And uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Not turning out to be quite the hit that I think they hoped it would be, the, uh, the remake with uh, Ben Stiller. Whereas Lone Survivor made almost $40 million over Tell the weekend. Man, Lone Survivor is a good movie, right? It is a good movie, but it's I'm just saying no one movie. expected almost 40 I did. No, you didn't. I did. You dude, say stuff like that. Dude, man. look, it's a, movie about, it's, it's a movie about grunts who are like kicking butt and they're doing their thing and they're out, you know, fighting the war you know in what? Afghanistan. It, I, I think and they should use that for the poster. A movie about grunts kicking their, butt and doing their thing. Hey, I'm telling you. The original Secret Life of Walter Mitty uh, from the Samuel Goldwyn collection is now out through Warner Brothers and a completely different movie. It's a Danny Kaye vehicle with Virginia Mayo in it, who, of course, was making movies with... She was like the, the female foil for every comic guy, you know, and Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, and she did all those movies. And she's wonderful. And the movie's a lot of fun. It's, uh, you know, not the least bit like the, uh, the Ben Stiller film by any means, but it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. I still think there's a better movie than either of them to be made, but uh, this was perfectly serviceable. Sam Goldwyn produced it, and uh, Norman Z. McLeod directed it, and it's, it's out on DVD, not Blu-ray. Um, what is out in a fantastic, spectacular uh, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo set is Mary Poppins, which is out for a very simple reason, and that, Mark, is what? Uh, Save me, Mr. Bank. There's a movie yeah, we, we, starring... we don't have time. Wait, no, no, time. no, it's a Tom Hanks film. Yeah. Captain Phillips. Wait, so you're saying that oh Captain Phillips is about the making of Mary Poppins with Tom Hanks as Mary Poppins. Oh, heaven help us. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, Mary Poppins is out, and it is, uh, it's gorgeous. It's the 50th anniversary edition. Disney, of course, pulls out all the stops in their Blu-rays, and you cannot get enough of this movie. Saving Mr. Banks, far and away my favorite film of 2013. I know that makes me sound like a completely sentimental gush. People thinking, what? Are you serious? There were so many like artistic movies and foreign films, and aren't you the guy that normally likes Chinese movies and, and Saskatchewan? Uh, no. I, 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 <laughs> what is Saskatchewan? A Chinese movie in Saskatchewan. I don't know. I'm, I'm making it How up. I'm vamping. I'm vamping. I can tell. Saving Mr. Banks. It's beautiful. That's true. I love it. I love that movie. I love everything about it, and I love Mary Poppins. And my daughter, this is, this is technically going to be her first film because um, my wife insists on it, but I'm, I'm okay with that. I, you know, I would probably choose Yes, Madam, because, you know, a little Cynthia Rothrock action, let her see how, you know, girls can really kick ass and break some bones. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, Mary Poppins maybe is... There's a movie about, uh, maybe there's a movie about a nanny 
in in the UK or whatever who rips sure. it on an umbrella and kicks ass. Yes. You, you, it could be like that. It could be like that. And then uh, Big is also out on uh, on the 25th anniversary Blu-ray DVD combo. Oh, now we're talking. I love this movie, man. Of course. Uh, Tom Hanks, as long as we're on the subject, right? Uh, in two great movies this year. Uh, you know, Captain Phillips, I, I was okay with. You know, he's really good in it, and the movies is not, it's fine, not all that. Uh, loving Saving Mr. Bay. But I, you know what? Seriously, Big is like Tom Hanks just completely killing it. And I'd forgotten how amazing he was in this movie, especially when he's eating, like, the, the little corn. And then he eats the the the, uh, the, the um, caviar and he has to spit it out. Come on, that's great no, physical no, he comedy spit stuff. It out. He, he, he sort of like <laughs> rolls right. it around his tongue until it kind of falls out of his mouth in like it's some fantastic. disgusting, half masticated way. Just fantastic. Penny Marshall, who should still be directing movies, just absolutely nails it. Co-written by Steven Spielberg's sister, by the way. Shecky Spielberg. Uh, no, uh, Ann Spielberg. Ann Spielberg, along with Gary Ross, who still has a really good career. And uh, 25th anniversary uh, comes with all kinds of great stuff, the, uh, the theatrical version and the extended cut, um, the, an audio documentary called Big Brainstorming, which is worth absolutely listening to, by the way. Um, remember, it's an audio documentary. And then deleted scenes and all the, uh, all the usual featurette stuff. Uh, just terrific. Absolutely great. And uh, a couple other things. Hold on. Killing Fields. Well, first off. Ooh, Killing first, Fields. First off, Predator 3D uh, didn't need to actually happen. Oh, come on. Wait, wait. Come on. No, Predator no. in 3D? No. Yes, Predator. In Schwarzenegger. 3D, in 3D? Totally. No. Totally? No. This is, it, it, no. Just stick with Predator, regular Predator. Predator 3D, there's absolutely no point to this. Uh, you, you get a, a DVD here with, you know, the standard definition deal, but the... the no, just Predator deserves to be on Blu-ray, not on 3D Blu-ray. How dare you? How dare and you? then a uh, Blu-ray book of The Killing Fields. Oh, The Killing right? Fields. Right? I mean... Blah. Blah. This is just... So I, I, intense. So brilliant, this oh, film is. Um, and a Sam comment, Watterson. Commentary by Roland Joffe, whose career is just completely tanked ever since, which leads me to believe that in so many of these films, the real genius of, of these movies was... Um, was, was not necessarily the director, but it was David Putnam, who was the producer of all these films. Because The Mission and The Killing Fields are the only two Roland Joffe movies that are really worth a lick. I mean, they're the only ones that are even remotely decent, and it's because David Putnam produced them. You know, he pulled the best out of Roland Joffe. So absolutely spectacular movie. Uh, huge Academy Award uh, contender at the time. It won three. It was nominated for seven. One of those awards went to Dr. Hang S. Noor, who is not a, an actor. You know, he re, he's a doctor who really lived through all of this, and he brought that to bear Hang in his me, performance. Let me, and, let me say about Hang S. Noor. Yeah. So my father loved this movie uh-huh. more than anything. And then when I graduated college, yeah. right, my college graduation ceremony was at the Hollywood Bowl. Yep. And the commencement speaker was Hang S. Noor. Wow. And my father could not have been happier wow. that Hang S. Noor was speaking because he loves Killing Fields. And so Hang S. Noor gets up to speak. Probably, I kid you not, in the history of commencement speeches, yep. Hang S. Noor's speech, a guy who had been through so much, his speech, probably the worst I've ever heard. Well. Dumbest ever. Sorry. Worst commencement speech ever. Sorry. Just putting it out there. Okay. Now, by the way, Hang S. Noor met a horrible fate. Here in Los Angeles. He did, which is really totally tragic. tragic and ridiculously unnecessary. He died, he just, died in a mugging. And just, just anger-inducing. Worst that, thing that, ever. That he would go through all of what he went yeah, through and true. then die in a goddamn mugging in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's just really, really just the disgusting. Worst. But uh, that's what happened. Well, anyway. Wait, uh, wait, here's the thing, wait. Yes. Now, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I love singing in the rain. 
You know, who doesn't love singing in the rain? Oh, I, I love singing in the rain. And what, what do you love most about singing in the rain? It was so well-directed, wasn't it? Yep. Wasn't it really well-directed? It was, it was incredibly well-directed, um, well, by, by Gene Kelly, right? Didn't Gene Kelly direct Gene it? Gene Kelly has something to do with it, too? Yeah. But right? He, he, he was, a, was he not the solo director? Huh? Wasn't Gene Kelly the solo? Oh, no, he directed with someone else, didn't he? Singing in the Rain. It was Stanley Donnan, right? That's right, Stanley well, he Donnan. He did. So you're thinking Singing in the Rain, one of the all-time oh, yeah. greats, right? Co-directed Singing in the Rain. Stanley Donnan did some great movies. He really did, Wade. He did. He, he also did, um, uh, what's, that, what's that movie he did, that really great one? Um, you, you know the title. Come on. I can't, I, I'm not sure if you're going into this one or some other one. That no, he no, did. you know what I'm talking about. He did, he did um, not Charade, that, that's one of his bad movies, but, but there's a great one, a really great one. It's called, um, Wait, oh, it's on the tip of my going. tongue. Come on, come on, oh. give, give, give me a title. <laughs> Give you a title? Okay, I will give you a title of a, of a Stanley Donnan film. Yes. We have, um, let's see, we have Lucky Lady. No. No, we have that's Two for the Road with Audrey no, Hepburn. No, that's not it. That's not it. We that's have, not what I'm thinking uh, of. <laughs> Seven Brides with Seven Brothers? No, that's not what I'm thinking of. No? no. Uh, Royal Wedding? No, no, no. I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking uh, of something, thinking, something with, something with you're Kirk thinking, Douglas. You know what you're thinking of? What am I thinking of? You're thinking of Saturn that's 3. That's it. That's it. That's a it. A science is. fiction <laughs> film with an enormous android robot who goes around killing Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett. Really, this thing oh, is just horrible. And the idea that the guy who directed, co-directed Singing in the Rain and directed Royal Wedding on the town and all sorts of other great classic films, including Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which, by the way, I never liked, um, also directed, for some reason, Saturn Three, one of the worst science fiction films you will ever see. It was his alien. It was his, it was his alien. It was his shot at alien. It, That's it, it, was. it was his Waterloo is what it was. <laughs> it was just terrible. But it's finally on Blu-ray. And, you know, and fans who grew up in this era and remember this film will absolutely want to eat this thing up. Because sure. it, is, it is so bad. But it's such a bizarre little piece of sci-fi history. Yeah. Because, it was, again, it's about his, his android. Uh, there's Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett. They're stationed like you know, underneath Saturn's third moon. And there's this crazy android. And uh, Harvey Keitel shows up, and it's just, it's just completely bizarre. And then you realize it's directed by the guy who did Singing in the Rain. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm about to kill myself. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Saturn 3, but I'm very glad it's on Blu-ray. I just never want to watch it again. Bruce Willis, um, Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger oh. starred in the very funny Blake you know, Edwards comedy. Yes. I, I was just going to say, Blake Edwards made uh, 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 um, the Pink Panther movie. And then he made Blind Date. Do I know you? <laughs> what are you talking about? As long um, as we're talking about directors. And uh, Blake Edwards. It's funny how Blake Edwards began his career with Days of Wine and Roses. Yep. Like a very intense uh, movie about alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And yet he wound up becoming one of the great farcists, farcers of uh, modern cinema, including the uh, Pink Panther films. And also Blind Date with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger. This Which is, is not a, movie- a good movie. No, come on. How dare you? It's a little bit like um, After Hours, where the evening gets increasingly more surreal yeah, and ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this movie has its moments. I really do. I don't think this, I don't think this is certainly a Blake Edwards' best film. But uh, I think I like this movie. All I right. have to admit, I like it. Blind Date. It's on Blu-ray. Finally on Blu-ray. Uh, Matilda is a terrific winning, just I fun little... I love this movie. Danny what? DeVito does such a good job. Now, Danny DeVito, who used to have a great directing career, and then something happened to Danny DeVito's directing career. We don't like that. Well, he got uh, he, he started doing television again with that uh, some, the Philadelphia thing. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Danny DeVito, Rhea Perlman, and Beth Davids, and Mara Wilson as uh, Matilda, based on the classic uh, books. Beautiful Blu-ray. Beautiful it's a Blu-ray. gorgeous Blu-ray. And, you know, this movie was, was full frame on DVD forever. 
So this is finally like, yay, Matilda, finally a chance to see it the way it's supposed to be seen. So by all means, get this Blu-ray if you are a fan of Matilda. I uh, wait. That horrible full frame. All right, Mark, we're going to uh, wrap the show out. I'm going to make mention of these amazing Twilight Time titles that came out last year. Of course, the, the one that you know, we started the show with, Oliver, finally on Blu-ray. Cannot say enough about this. Isolated score track, tons of other features, featurettes on here. It has eight sing-alongs. This is, this is for the kids. This is uh, the greatest family Blu-ray uh, apart from uh, Mary Poppins of like the last year. This is just a sensation. You get dance sing-alongs on this. I mean, they really, really, really nailed this. Uh, Twilight Time found themselves a gem. I am shocked shocked that, that uh, Sony and Columbia would let go of this and let another company do a special edition, but I'm glad that they let Twilight Time do it because they nailed it. Oliver, best picture of 1968, an absolutely sensational Blu-ray, beautiful work by Twilight Time. Also in the same batch, uh, really quickly, Louis Malle's Alamo Bay, which is one of Louis Malle's American films. Uh, this, I believe, is the film that uh, Ed Harris and Amy Madigan met on. If not, then it's the first film they met after they met. But uh, a really good film. You know, it's kind of one of those uh, immigrant stories, Asian immigrants and clash of, of races. Very, very well done. The Way We Were, Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand. Only in the 1970s would a movie directed by Sidney Pollack be able to convince us that these two people are attracted to each other. Because they were both stars at the times, but but honestly, would anybody ever say, "Oh, Robert Redford, Barbara Streisand, yeah, that's a good match"? You know, there, there was a moment when Barbara Streisand was kind of Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. Yes. Why Ryan O'Neill? Because they're funny together. It's like it's just this is not this is not a this is not there's no chemistry here. How dare you? There's just no chemistry. I love the song. I enjoy the movie. I love Sidney Pollack, but not really. Uh, Royal Flash, if you haven't heard of it, this is a Richard Lester film. Richard Lester, of course, recently received uh, the L.A. Film Critics Career Achievement Award. And this is uh, not necessarily his finest hour, but it's a very funny film. Uh, it's, it, it's just an odd film, but it's definitely, you know, if you are a Richard Lester fan, you definitely want to check this out. It is one of the more peculiar Malcolm McDowell performances in a career that is nothing but peculiar. Alan Bates is, is great as well. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? It's Richard Lester. You've got to have a little Richard Lester. Uh, recently, Joan Fontaine, one of my favorite actresses of all time, the uh, younger sister by a year of Olivia de Havilland. And, of course, we know that those two hated each other's guts most of their lives. Um, she stars in Jane Eyre, and this is finally on Blu-ray as well from Twilight Time, directed by none other than Robert Stevenson, who did Mary Poppins. And this is the other great Robert Stevenson movie, uh, Orson Welles playing... Uh, Rochester, and it's just this is the Jane. Eyre. I mean, it's not the perfect adaptation of the book, but it's the moodiest and uh, certainly one of the best uh, versions I've ever seen. Uh, the Driver, which uh, recently was kind of paid homage to in uh, Drive with uh, the Nicholas Winding Refn film. This is Ryan O'Neill uh, doing pretty much the same kind of a thing for Walter Hill in Walter Hill's uh, debut film. And that's worth it on Blu-ray if you're a fan. Sexy Beast. We love Sexy Beast, don't we, Mark? Yes, we do. Sexy Beast has... has a lot of fun. A lot of fun. A lot of energy, a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. Ben Kingsley is terrifying, and he, does, he never even picks up a weapon in this film. He is just absolutely fear-inducing. And it's amazing that he can do that because... He's playing opposite Ray Winstone, who's usually a scary guy, and yet it's little Ben Kingsley who just scares the daylights out of you. One of the best kind of quasi-British crime films I think I've ever seen. Uh, a scary movie that you may never have even heard of is The Other. The Other was uh, produced and directed by uh, Robert Mulligan. 
And uh, this is a great little spooky movie from 1972. Definitely a good one to have on Blu-ray for when Halloween rolls around. It is uh, Pick it up now because they'll probably sell out of this. So that's, a, that's another really first-rate Twilight Time uh, transfer. And then the last one is the amazing, spectacular Drums Along the Mohawk. Drums Along the Mohawk is one of, the, one of John Ford's greatest films ever. Uh, it uh, stars uh, a tremendous all-star cast, including uh, Claudette Colbert and Henry Fonda. Uh, and it's a, an amazing, um, probably, I would almost say this is the best story of the American Revolution ever put on film. This is the best Revolutionary War story ever made. Absolutely first rate. And... Just so that everybody knows how amazing this is, it was made in 1939. Hardly anyone ever remembers this as a 1939 movie because of all the other 1939 movies that we remember, Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and all the rest. This kind of got lost in the shuffle, but man, what a great movie. What an unbelievable film. And this also includes uh, Nick Redmond's uh, 2007 Becoming John Ford documentary, which is worth the price of purchase alone. And uh, speaking of Walter Hill from The Driver, Walter Hill does the, uh, the voice of, uh, of Ford here. And uh, in these conversations that you have with uh, Daryl F. Zanuck, who was voiced by Ron Shelton, and it's just absolutely perfect. So, Drums Along the Mohawk, that is a must-own as well. And, Mark, we are done. We are? But we're back in 2000. This is 2014. We are back. That's we're what back they tell for good. Me. Yep, we're back. All right, everybody, have a fantastic uh, week, and we will be back next week. Most delightful way. They take a little nip from every flower that they sip, and hence, and hence, they find, they find, their task is not a grind.